Okay, so our Parsha is Va'era. We continue the story we began uh, last week. These are the fantastic Parshas of the Torah with the, uh, the narrative that describes our birth as a nation, our transformation from the, the first family to, uh, to becoming a nation. And, and a trans- transition in so many ways. Moshe, from uh, being Moshe, a prince growing up in the palace, 60 years he spent in Midian, we spoke about last year, to emerging as a transformational leader. The people who have to transition from a slave nation to even within their slavery, within their servitude, to beginning to believe in themselves, and, uh, and so on and so forth. So we'll do our overview of the parsha, and then we'll, we'll try to get into some psukim with uh, some Mephoshim together. So the, the parsha begins with God once again reassuring Moshe, once again uh, promising Moshe that he'll be with him, which is in itself fascinating. You'd think that if God, the omnipotent, infinite being, said to you, here's my promise, I'm going to redeem you, you wouldn't need so many reassurances. It's such an insight into the human psyche that when we don't believe in ourselves or believe in our right to a better or possibility of a better future, the level of reassurance that's needed over and over and over again. You'd think Moshe heard, not indirectly, not through a sign. Moshe hears directly from Hashem himself. And yet over and over again, he needs to... uh, he needs to be reassured, and that's how our parsha begins with that level of, of reassurance. And the parsha then continues with the different lashonos of geula, the different lashonos of redemption. That according to many Tosos, this is the source of the four cups of wine that we drink at the Pesach seder, because the Torah says, if you look in pasuk vav, lachein emor levnei Israel, ani Hashem, tell the Jewish people, I am God, I'm going to bring them out from under the. Uh, bondage of Egypt Vihitzalti I'm going to save them from the work Vigaalti I'm going to redeem them with an outstretched arm Vilakakti and I'm going to take them for me as a nation and of course there's the possibility of the fifth Lashon of Geula Vehevesi I'm going to bring them where? I'm going to ultimately bring them to the land that possibility of the fifth language of Geula according to many is the source for what? the cup of? Eliyahu. cup of Eliyahu why do we have a cup of Eliyahu on Navi? We gave a Shabbos Agadol Drasha about this, I think, in 2008. The, uh, I'm sure you all remember well. The uh, cup of Eliyahu, one tradition is because it's the fifth Lashon of Geula. It corresponds with Vehevesi, to be brought into Israel. But much more likely it was a, for halachic reasoning, if you remember having to do with um, Yain Pogum. Once you drink from a cup, it's ineligible to be used again as a cup for something sacred. Right? So you have to either add more wine or pour out the wine and pour it back in. We have the concept of yain pogum. So they used to have a cup in the middle of the table to empty what you didn't drink so that you could start again when you pour the next cup. And that likely became the cup of Eliyahu. We, we discussed many different uh, traditions of how the cup of Eliyahu evolved. There is something very interesting. The Nitziv on this Pasuk, Rav Naftali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin, notes that the Hebrew term for words often used by the rabbis is lishonos which literally means languages. Because for the Nitzim, Nitziv, the terms in our psukim that we just read, these four Lashonos of V'yitzalti, V'ga'alti, V'lakachti, what did I miss? Otesi. thank you. But these four Lashonos, um, the word Lashonos means languages. The Nitzim, it means a language of redemption, rather than words of redemption. The word Lashon, we use the term Lashon to describe a language. So the Nitziv says, it's much more than just symbolically we have these four synonyms. Because in Judaism we don't have synonyms. In Biblical Hebrew we don't have synonyms. There's subtle nuanced differences in the meaning. So Lashonos doesn't mean words as in we have four Hebrew synonyms for 
redemption, but it means we have four languages, four stages of redemption. Redemption is a process for the Nitziv. It's gradual. It doesn't take place like that. So when the Torah says these four descriptions, it doesn't just mean, oh, that's cute, there's four different synonyms. It means that redemption comes in a process, it doesn't come overnight. Rabbi Dr. J.J. Schachter has spoken about this often. You see this with, with leaving Mitzrayim, you see this with the state of Israel, what we continue to go through today, that redemption doesn't happen in an instant. Redemption is the notion of a process. Rav Asher Weiss points out something fascinating. The halacha is you're allowed to drink between the first and the second cup of wine at the Seder. If you need to take a sip, you're allowed to drink, interrupt between the first and second cup, as well as between the second and the third cup. But between the third cup and the fourth cup, between the v'ga'alti and v'lakachti, you're not allowed to drink. Why? Why is it that there can be no interruption between the third and the fourth? So are those who think, says Rav Asher Weiss, that the languages of redemption, what it means is, it's about the physical deliverance, physical redemption. We went from oppression and persecution, from bondage, from physical pain, to freedom, to liberation, from the yoke of the oppressor. So for such people, the first three expressions of redemption are enough. I'll take you out, I'll rescue you, I'll redeem you. Those all have to do with physical liberty. Stop enslaving us physically. Stop oppressing us physically. But what's that fourth Lashon? That fourth language of doesn't correspond with physical freedom or liberty, doesn't correspond with the ability to physically not be enslaved, but it means to find freedom spiritually, to achieve an emotional freedom. It means to connect to God to connect to God and to find an existential freedom through the ability to choose God and not to be enslaved to our surroundings, to the material world, to the physical world, and so on and so forth. So Chazal teaches us the first three Lashonos, the first three languages or stages of redemption are not the most significant aspects of redemption. Yes, they're prerequisites. You need to be physically free in order to have the space and the mindset to be able to aspire for a spiritual freedom. But those first three are not the most important. So you're allowed to interrupt. You can drink between the first cup and the second, between the second and the third. Between the third and the fourth, you can't eat or drink. Because the essence of redemption, the goal of redemption, the crux of redemption, is the redemption of the soul. It's the redemption, that redemption, that we're supposed to be grateful. The salvation of our neshama, the ability to come close to God, the receiving of the, of the divine presence. There's a lot more to say about this, but we'll, uh, we'll save it for another time. But that's really the essence of leaving Mitzrayim. That's the connection between Pesach and Shavuos. In other words, we don't celebrate liberty because for liberty's sake. If the liberty didn't culminate in Harsinai, in standing at Harsinai and accepting Hashem in our lives, that freedom would be unrealized, untapped. The freedom would not be, be uh, fulfilled. The goal of the freedom is to become Avadim to Hashem. Al-Tikrei. That the Luchos, the Torah, give us real freedom. How does it give us real freedom? So these are the notions of what, what does it mean slavery, what does it mean freedom, that is beyond uh, the scope of the Parsha class that we want to get into these Pesukim. But it's the idea that, you know, w- w- the difference between freedom and liberty, you can, if you're addicted to Starbucks, I'll say it this way, if you're addicted to Starbucks, and you cannot begin your day without a 4,000% markup cup, cup of coffee, <laughs> And you can't afford it. You're on scholarship. You're on a fixed income. 
You're, but still, you can't imagine life without your morning Starbucks and your afternoon Starbucks. Are you free? You have, you have liberty in that you can choose which Starbucks to go to. You're not handcuffed. Nobody's, you're not under house arrest. You can go to the Starbucks right here, and the Starbucks on Glades, the Starbucks. You have liberty in terms of physical motion, but I would hardly describe you as free. If you are enslaved to the fad, the fashion, material pursuits, you may have liberty but not freedom. Some people have no liberty. They're in there are stories from the Holocaust where they had freedom even without liberty because they could choose who they were. They transcended, they maintained their humanity in the most terrific of circumstances. There's the capacity to achieve freedom without liberty and there's an ability to have liberty but still lack freedom. So the first three Lashonos deal with liberty. God gave us liberty when He was ve'otsesi, ve'etzalti, ve'ga'alti. He gave us liberty. We weren't enslaved or oppressed. We weren't physically confined to Egypt. But the velakachti gave us true freedom. The ability to, you know, people think, what do you mean, keep the laws of kashras, you're not free, Torah is restricting you, you're so constricted in what you can do. So my answer is, if you can't give up the cheeseburger, who's really free? If I elect to observe kashras, if I elect to live a disciplined diet, who's really free? The person who can't give up the must-have food, or the person who says, I can control my own destiny and I can control my own temptation towards food. So all of this is captured in these two psukim, these Lashonos of Geul and Tziv says, it's not words or synonyms, they're languages of redemption and they correspond with different aspects of redemption. Physical redemption, spiritual redemption, emotional redemption, and so on and so forth. They come, Velo Shamuel Moshe, on the top of page 320 now, Pasuk Tess, Moshe speaks to the Jewish people by Daber Moshe Kane al Bnei Israel, Velo Shamu al Moshe. They didn't listen. Why? Mikotze Ruach Omeavodakasha. I think I shared this with you last year, uh, last week, right? But just to repeat very quickly, they didn't listen. What do you mean you didn't listen? You're enslaved. Somebody comes and says, "I'm taking you out." You're impoverished, and someone comes and says, "I've got a job for you. You could turn it around financially." Who wouldn't listen? Who would reject such a message? What does it mean the Jewish people didn't listen? So the Rashi explains, Rashi takes it quite literally. If you're constantly running around, you're out of breath. If you're out of breath, if you're so exhausted, physically and emotionally, then you're not going to hear a message of hope. So Rashi says, Paro succeeded. The Egyptians succeeded in oppressing the Jews, so they literally were kotzeruach. They were out of breath. And that level of exhaustion, being out of breath, became an obstacle to their receiving a message of hope. But the Orachayim, the Orachayim HaKadosh, has a much deeper insight. He says, kotzeruach, I think I told you this last week, ruach means vision. Kotzer means katsar, narrow. It means that the Jewish people had such a narrow tunnel vision. You know what? We're the enslaved people. That's just the way it is. You're coming giving us a message of hope? That's not me. I don't accept it. I don't believe it. I can't even picture it. That I could be free. That I could have a better life. I can't even picture it. So when you're dealing with somebody who is addicted to some poor lifestyle, poor choices, we're dealing with people who are struggling with with health, a lot of times the first obstacle is overcoming that they don't believe that they're entitled to or capable of a different future. Moshe and Aaron, their first task, or arguably their harder task, was not convincing Paro 
But their harder task was convincing the Jewish people to follow them. And that's what we see. Bo daber al-paro melech mitzrayim v'shalach b'nei Yisrael me'artso v'yadaber moshe l'fnei Hashem l'mor heim b'nei Yisrael o'shem mo'elai The Jewish people aren't listening. How's paro going to listen? If the oppressed aren't receiving, embracing my message of hope, my message of freedom, how in the world will, will paro? And that's the next pasuk. So Hashem tells Moshe and Aaron v'yitzavim el b'nei Yisrael v'yal paro melech mitzrayim Isn't that incredible? Command the Jewish people and paro lo'tziyaz b'nei Yisrael mitzrayim what do you mean? Command the Jewish people? Why would you have to command them? If you open the prison door and you say to the incarcerated, follow me, would you have to vayitzavim? Would you have to command them? Moshe, turn to the Jewish people, vayitzavim, you have to command them? It makes no sense. What do you mean command them? So, look at Rashi says, Tzivam aleim lahanhigam benachas v'lezbol osam. Vayitzavim means... You, Moshe, and Aaron are going to have to be incredibly patient. Leading this people is going to require unbelievable patience. Unbelievable patience. The author of Kelm says that the most important quality of all of our midos, from which everything else flows, is patience. Savlanut. Savlanut. A little savlanut. Right? That's Rashi. Lahanhigam, you're going to have to lead them benachas, v'lizbol osam. What is lisbol? Savlanut? The Hebrew word for patience is savlanut. What is savlanut patience? It's forbearance. What is the word lisbol? Go back to last week's parsha. What does it say? Sivlosam. Moshe left the palace and he saw vayar besivlosam. What is sivlosam? They're suffering. What is savlanut? The capacity to deal with suffering. So you're stuck in traffic. You're suffering in traffic. Patience is all about the capacity to suffer. Forbearance. The ability to live with discomfort. If you're so high maintenance that you can't live with an ounce of discomfort, you'll have no patience. If you think you can control everything, you'll have no patience. Patience requires conceding your control. That you can't manipulate every outcome. That you can't control every situation. Patience is a direct... Corollary of the ability to suffer. Savlanut lisbol. Right? That's what God tells Moshe Naran. To lead this people, you're going to have to have patience. And what is patience? Lisbol osam is the capacity, forbearance, the capacity to suffer a little bit. It's not going to be easy. I think this is an important message about parenting also. Lisbol osam. If you have no patience, forbearance. If you can't deal with a little discomfort, you're not, it's going to be tough to parent like Moshe and Aaron, who had to be the, the leaders of the, of the Jewish people. Okay, and then the Torah delineates, the, uh, again, the, uh, the names of the leaders. We see names playing a prominent role within our book. And uh, we continue after the list of names. Moshe hesitates again. I have a speech impediment. The bottom of page 322. I have a speech impediment. How will Paro possibly listen to me? So Hashem tells Moshe, Don't worry. I've given you a, a mouthpiece. I've given you a spokesperson. Aaron is going to be that person. Go. Aaron will tell Paro everything. And he should send... Vani Paro. We discussed in the past the Ramban. What does it mean that God hardened Paro's heart? What about free will? How do you reconcile 
God hardening Paro's heart with free will, why is Paro held accountable for being this wicked, wicked tyrant, this despot, when the truth is God had hardened his heart? We spoke about that in the past, the Ramban, who, uh, who has an excellent perspective on that, on that question. And Moshe and Aaron did as God commanded in going and demanding of Paro. Moshe is 80 years old, and Aaron is 83 years old when they go to Paro. They are not young men. Um, they're already a little bit of an advanced age. And yet they take their mission seriously and they go and perform it. Um, they have this whole exchange with the, uh, with the uh, proving, with the uh, displaying a miracle, make a sign, show that, that you're real. And then we get to the first plague. Paro's heart is hardened, he doesn't listen. And the first plague. What's the first plague? Blood. Who does the first plague? Aaron. Why Aaron? Like a Rashi, Pasuk Yates. Lefishahegin ayor al Moshe kishinishlach l'socho lefichach l'laka ayado lo bedam v'lo betzvardeim v'laka ayidei Aaron. Because the Nile had saved Moshe, it would be inappropriate, it would be kafwe tov. It would be uh, a lack of gratitude for Moshe to strike the Nile. So the first two plagues which emanated from the Nile, the Nile turning into blood, and the frogs were performed through Aaron. Now this is a bizarre Rashi. It's a bizarre Rashi. The Nile is an inanimate object. Who cares? So the Nile saved Moshe. The Nile didn't save Moshe. Moshe's family put him in the basket. Bacha, the daughter of Paro, we spoke about last week, saved Moshe. What did the Nile do? And why does he have to reciprocate some gratitude to an inanimate, inanimate object? It makes no sense whatsoever. So what do you see about Hakar Satov? Is Hakar Satov designed for the recipient of the thanks or for the giver, the speaker of the thanks? What you see from this Rashi is that the Jewish notion of gratitude is not for the sake of the recipient. I don't say thank you because you deserve or need a thank you. I say thank you because I need to say thank you. I grow when I say thank you. Because if I didn't say thank you, it would somehow be harmful to me. Why is that? So the answer is, naturally, innately, most people want to feel independent. Innately, most people want to feel, I'm, I'm on my own. I don't need anyone. I don't need anything. I can take care of myself. I'm good to go. It's very, you find a high correlation between arrogant and people and ungrateful people. If you're arrogant, it's very hard to be grateful. Because what is implicit in gratitude? Humility. Every statement of gratitude is a statement you benefited me. I needed you. My life was enhanced because of you in a way that wouldn't have happened had you not been here. Rafutner has a magnificent insight. I've shared it many times before. Rafutner writes in Pachad Yitzchak, that's why in Hebrew, the same expression, hoda'a, to be modeh, means both gratitude and admission. Says Rafutner, you could be modeh le and modeh al. If I'm modeh al, I'm grateful to you for the fact that you come to my Parsha class. I'm grateful to you for the fact that you had me over for dinner. I'm grateful for whatever it is. Modé al. What's modé le? You come to me and you say, Hey Goldberg, <coughs> you borrowed a hundred bucks, you never paid me back. Ani modé You're right. I'm sorry, it's the opposite. Modé al means yeah. I admit. Modé le means I'm grateful to you. So ani modé al, I admit that I, about a hundred dollars, I admit. So model means I'm grateful to you. You had me over for dinner. Model means I admit that which you accuse me of. I admit 
Why is the same word, hoda'a, modeh, mean both great gratitude and admission? Says Rav Hutner, because implicit in every expression of gratitude is an admission. And the admission is, I needed you. Every thank you is an admission. So when I say thank you, when we teach our children Hakar Satov to say thank you, is it because it's social courtesy? Is it because it's what's... It's not just a courtesy. It's not because the recipient deserves to hear thank you. Although they do deserve it. But that's not why. We say it because it's an expression of... It's an exercise in humility and modesty. When I say thank you, I'm saying I'm not independent. I don't operate alone. You benefited me and I recognize it. So if that's the case, do you say thank you even to an inanimate object? Absolutely. Not because of the inanimate object. We don't cover the challah because it'll be embarrassed by the grape juice because we're worried about the challah. I'll tell you a little secret. Challahs don't have feelings. They don't have feelings. We're not doing it because of the challah. We're doing it to cultivate and refine our sensitivity. Because if we can even cover a challah, because really the bracha on bread comes before the bracha on grape juice, and when we reverse it, it might be embarrassing to the challah. If we can display that level of sensitivity, then certainly we're going to treat people better. Right? The story of Rabbi Saul Salanter was at a Shabbos table on a Friday night, and the table wasn't set exactly right, and the husband was berating his wife in front of the company for it, embarrassing her terribly. Rabbi Saul Salanter turned to the husband and said, Remind me, why do we cover the challah? Well, cover the challah, because we don't want to embarrass the challah in front of the grape juice. <laughs> he says, the challah more important than your wife. Right? So, we cover the challah not because we care about the challah. We cover the challah so that it cultivates within us. So, Moshe doesn't not perform the first two makos, because the Nile River needs to hear thank you. It's not that an inanimate object needs to hear thank you. It's that we need to say thank you. for what. That, so, that's why it's so important with our children to teach gratitude. Because gratitude is an exercise in humility, and because when someone is ungrateful, it breeds arrogance, that's why it's something which is, which is so important. So these first two plagues are, are performed by Aaron instead of by Moshe. Everything turns into blood. We've studied this in the past. Not just the Nile, but all of the water throughout Egypt all turns into blood. The second plague is frogs. Page 328. God tells Moshe tells comes to Paro and says, "Send my people out." By the way, which goes back to Rav Asher Weiss's insight, it's always followed not just "send out my nation." Send out my nation would be some national freedom. The goal of the Exodus, the goal of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, was not to achieve some national independence, but it was to achieve a national independence subservient to God. So you always see this go together. Shalach esami v'ya'avduni. The purpose, the goal, is not just to achieve a national freedom, independence, but to, to achieve a nation that would be con- committed to and connected to God. So what happens? The Tzvardeya... We have the plague of frogs. Frogs here, frogs there. Frogs were jumping everywhere. Rashi quotes the Medrash. How did it occur? Whether this is meant to be taken literally or figuratively. How did it occur? These frogs were like gremlins. Really, they were only a handful of frogs. And what happened? Says the Medrash. You hit the frog. And what happened? The frog multiplied. 
asks the stipler in his Birchas Peretz, his commentary on Chumash, asks the stipler, I don't understand. The first time an Egyptian hit a frog and saw it turn into two frogs, what should he have done? Stop. How did this turn into a plague? You had a handful of frogs, Egyptians smacked them, you went from four to eight, ten to twenty, you could live with twenty frogs. We know well here in Florida. You could live with 20 frogs. I had an iguana in my backyard on Shabbos. I can't even tell you how big. It went for a swim in the pool, was sunbathing on the... We, we understand how to live with these things. You could live with a few. But if you hit it and it turns into two, wouldn't you logically know don't hit it again? Ask the Birchas parents, ask the stipler going, what, what do you do? Ask the stipler, what are you doing? What happened? Listen to his insight. Says the stipler, you know how it happened? This is the result of chaos, of anger. Anger is such a categorically bad emotion that it leads to self-destructive behavior. The Rambam and the Ramban both agree. The Ramban writes in Igeras Ramban, the letter he wrote to his son. It appears in many Sidurim, Shema Bani Musar Avicha, beautiful. Uh, he starts with the Pasuk from Mishlai. The Igeras Ramban, the Rambam writes in Hilchos Deos, in the beginning of Mishnah Torah. They both write, all character traits belong in our lives in some measure. That's why, what are they called in Hebrew character traits? We tell children, we have to work on your... What does the word midah mean? Measure. 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 Because it all belongs in some measure. The, the Orchos Tzadikim says that life, character traits, are like a soup. They need all the... Is pepper good or bad? What's the answer? Depends how much of it you add. No pepper, it can be bland. Too much pepper, you're going to destroy the dish. It's all a function of how much you add. So character traits in life are like ingredients. It's not a question of whether they're good or bad. It's a question of this recipe calls for it, this recipe doesn't call for it. This recipe calls for it in this measure, this recipe calls for it in that measure. Character traits, all character traits. Name a character trait and I can give you an example where it's healthy, where it belongs, or where it would be terrible and destructive. Write both the Ramban and the Rambam that there's one, maybe two, but one character trait that categorically never, ever belongs in any measure whatsoever. The Rambam writes, while you should live in the happy medium and everything, in this you should live to the extreme. The Rambam says two things. Anger, you should be extreme in never getting angry, and you should be extreme in your humility. Those are the two character traits the Rambam says that should be to the extreme. The Ramban, when he writes his son, says... What's the most important thing to work on? Never. Never get angry. Because anger is the root of all bad behavior. Anger undermines everything. Why? What's so bad about anger? So the answer is, I think, all other emotions have a level of intelligence. Emotional intelligence. Patience. All other character traits. Anger is a pure emotion. Anger is a pure, unadulterated emotion. In fact, physiologically, when a person gets angry, if they do a scan of your brain, you'll see the blood flow to the bad, the reptilian portion, fight or flight. We had a speaker recently, Dr. Levy, uh, Rene Levy, who wrote Baseless Hatred, who spoke about this. He's a neuroscientist, and he spoke exactly about what takes place anatomically when we get angry. We lose our humanity. When a person gets angry, they forfeit their humanity and they literally become animalistic, physiologically. We lack intelligence. We lack thoughtfulness. We get angry, we lose our cool, we become like an animal in the way we react. 
It's a categorically bad emotion because it lacks intelligence and it causes poor decision-making, poor judgment. So says the stipler, what happens when you get angry? You even become self-destructive. You don't even realize it. How many people have destroyed relationships because of their anger? How many people have lost a deal in the negotiations because they allowed themselves to get angry? How many people have, have hurt their children because of their anger or hurt the people closest to them? Anger is counterproductive. So what happens is that Svardaya, there are a few frogs, and they hit him, and the frogs multiplied. Logically, don't touch another frog, whatever you do. What'd they do? What do you mean? You multiplied. I'm angry. Smack another, I'm, a, I'm even angrier. Smack another frog. And so the stipler says, it was a self-imposed plague. It was a self-imposed plague through this attribute of anger, and that's why anger should be categorically avoided. Okay, continuing. Now we have the third plague of lice. Go, stretch out, strike the dust. There'll be lice throughout the land. They did. There was an infestation of lice um, all over. And uh, Paro's heart became hardened again. The Khartoumim with this one, Paro's advisors said, The advisors started to get the message. They started to get the message. There's many interpretations. If you look at the development of the plagues, it's all God trying to bring Paro to a point where Paro forfeits the idea that he is the deity and begins to recognize God, the God of nature, the God of providence, the God of the Jewish people. You see through the development of the plagues. There's a lot of Vort Lachat Seder, of Yehuda who divided the plagues in different ways. But there's this idea that the plagues are God's means of educating Paro that he is not in charge, that idolatry is false, but that God is the one omnipotent being. The Khartoumim begin to understand. They tell Paro, excuse me, they tell Paro with the Kinim, Etzpe This is the hand of God. This isn't natural. And, and our idols can't intervene. This is the hand of God. But how does Paro react? Paro's heart is hardened. He's unwilling to hear the advice of his advisors because he has a hardened heart. The fourth plague. And tell him, Shalachami again, Avduni. Always goes together. Not Shalachami, that's not the goal. Emancipation. The goal is to be able to have religious freedom, to worship Hashem. And if you don't, He's going to send wild beasts. And in fact, he does exactly that. And that's what occurs. The fifth plague. Top of page 334. Again, Dever is going to um, uh, hit your livestock. They're going to die. It's going to be disastrous for your economy. In fact, this occurs. The sixth plague, we have boils. Seventh plague, we have hail. Our parsha is seven of the ten plagues. And ending with Paro's obstinance, ending with Paro's refusal still to let the, uh, to let the Jewish people go. Okay, let's go back and look at some of the Pesukah. Perak Vav Pasuk Yud. Perak Vav Chapter 6, Pasuk Yud. Verse 6.
God speaks to Moshe, Lemor. Why does it say Lemor? Isn't that peculiar? I mean, we've gotten used to it because we see it in the Torah over and over again. God spoke to Moshe, saying. Well, if God spoke to Moshe, he said something. Why do I need the word saying? If I'm telling you a story about, uh, you know, I ran into so-and-so and they told me, I wouldn't say, you know, I ran into Bob and he told me, saying. <laughs> what do you mean, Lemor? Why is Lemor here? Oh, so we saw the Gemara had in the Dafyomi recently that uh, the default is you're not entitled to repeat something unless you're given permission. We don't know. Is the default that you can repeat anything you hear unless you're told it's private? Or is the default that you can't repeat anything unless you're told you can share it? So that's one reason. Lemor, it was told to Moshe to repeat and that gave him license, that gave him permission. But look at the Ramban here. The Ramban quotes the Radak, Amru Meforshim, the word lemor in the Torah says the Radak refers to the Jewish people. Here it says lemor is not referring to the Jewish people. It means what I'm telling you is intended to be repeated to Paro. But the verse where, where in Bereshis it recalls Go back to Bereshis Lamed Aleph Chavtes. What's the context of this? Bereshis Lamed Aleph Chavtes, page 164. The confrontation between Yaakov and Lavan. So in Pasuk Chavtes it says, Yesh Yadil Asosi Machem Ra, Velokea Vichem Emesh Amar Eli Lemor, Hishama Lachami Daberim Yaakov, Mitov Vimra. It is in my power to do to you all harm. But the God of your father addressed me last night saying, Beware of speaking with Yaakov, either good or bad. Lavan is recounting to Yaakov what he had heard from God the night before. Emesh, Amarelai, Lemor. Last night God said to me, saying, Says the Ramban, if Lemor means that throughout the Torah, according to the Radak, that God told Moshe something to repeat to the Jewish people, in that context it shouldn't say Lemor. Lemor doesn't believe, belong. Lavan should have simply said, Emesh Amar Hashem Eli. Last night, God told me. What do you mean, Lemor, to repeat? So the Ramban, if you go to the next paragraph, the Ramban gives an alternative interpretation. Lemor means, God told this to me explicitly, clearly. There's no doubt. God didn't hint this. I didn't surmise this. I didn't extrapolate this. God didn't infer this. God told it to me, lay more. Black and white. God said it to me clearly and explicitly, and that's what it means, lay more. Because Moshe's Navua was unusual. There's a number of differences between Moshe's prophecy and that of other prophets. Other prophets only received prophecy while sleeping, Moshe even while he was awake. Other prophets only at night, Moshe even during the day. Other prophets only could be initiated by God, Moshe could initiate prophecy. Other prophets saw it through, through a vision, Moshe like, like a foggy window, Moshe received prophecy opaque through a clear window. So it says the Ramban, and that's what it means. When Moshe received the message from God, lay more, pale pe that he has received this message, it wasn't through a riddle, it wasn't through a hint, it wasn't through 
um, Morse code. Moshe got it explicitly, lay more, to repeat it exactly the way he received it. That's what Lavan was telling Yaakov. When last night God visited me, he told me explicitly, I'm not to touch you, hands off. Lemor is the Torah's way of saying, this is not a derivation or extrapolation, this is clear. What Lavan was saying is, if God didn't tell me hands off, I had big plans to hurt you. Emesh Lemor, God told it to me clearly, Black and white. The Yomer Bnei Yisrael of Moshe Lemor Shayu Omrim Lahem Kain Beferish V'Tzakim Lahem Begilay Ponim. Oh, Ki Amakor Labirur Ha'Inyan Pam Muktam Pam Uchar Kama Omrim Emor Natsi. So the Ramban says disagrees with the Radak. Lemor doesn't mean God telling Moshe to repeat to the Jewish people. Lemor means that this is a clear, unequivocal message. Look at the Orachaim Hakadosh. Those who take people of the book. How many take people of the book Tuesday nights? So we studied the Orachayim last week. Hopefully you have a new appreciation of the Orachayim's life and methodology based on our study of him. So the Orachayim writes, Omru leimor, perushi yomar elav ki hu amar lo badavar. Ve'omru ve'ishalach b'tosef es vav. Ha'gam shalakadam lo davar. L'tzad sheshluchos moshe l'daber l'paro. Hu inyan gadol l'daber hedyot l'fnei melech. Ve'od lo she'edaber elav dvaram. Ha'nokvim libo l'otzi... Below Mipiv. So he says, he should say Lemor, meaning Moshe should repeat to Paro, I'm not here on my own. I'm not initiating this communication. I am a messenger of God. When you go to Paro, tell him, tell him, I told you this to repeat to him. Says the Orachayim, that's what Lemor means. That Moshe. Paro shouldn't perceive that Moshe is initiating this of his own accord, but Moshe is the representative, the ambassador of the Almighty. After all, what right would a head yote, would a simple citizen have to come to Paro? The brazenness it would take. But Lemur gave him the license. Lemur entitled him to go because he represented Hashem. So the Orchaim is saying, of course Moshe should have known on his own to go just by virtue of God telling him. But God explicitly told him to go also so that Moshe could not possibly be unclear as to what his mission was all about. Come speak to Paro, the king of Egypt. He should send the Jewish people from his land. What do you mean? The Jewish people haven't accepted my message. How in the world will Paro? Look at Rashi. This is one of the ten examples of Kalvachomer. What's a Kalvachomer? Is a halachic argument. Uh, how do you say it in Latin? You can thank the Sansino Talmud. Now, a fortiori, right? A fortiori. To thank the Sansino Talmud of our childhood for teaching all of us that Latin expression. But Kalvachomer means if this, then certainly that. If the rule applies to the more lenient, then certainly it should apply to the stricter. Kalvachomer. So this rabbinic rule, Kalvachomer, one of the 13 ways Rabbi Shmuel teaches us that we could derive law. Right? Those who are here early enough during davening, Rabbi Shmuel, the, the Midos, that the Torah and Rashi Kalvachomer is one of them. 
that if the if this applies to the more lenient, then all the more so to the strict. So that's not a rabbinic invention. There are ten instances in the Torah of Kalvachomer. Says Rashi, this is one of them. What's the Kalvachomer? Moshe says to God, if the Jewish people who are enslaved who should be embracing my message of redemption, if they're rejecting me, then all the more so the oppressor, the one who has no reason to let them go, all the more so Kalvachomer he's not going to hear me. I am an Aral Svasayim, says Rashi, Atum Svasayim, I have clogged lips. Right, that term Aral means like clogged. We have it expressing a number of things. We have Aral, Aral, like foreskin, describes the foreskin that we do the brismila to remove. So we have the foreskin of the of the aver. We have the foreskin of the heart. Aralev, the foreskin of the heart that has to be removed. We have the foreskin of the lips that Moshe feels that there's a clog, there's an impediment, there's a barrier on his lips. So Rashi says, clog, blocked. Their ears are blocked. You're not listening. Not listening. If your heart is clogged, then you're not capable of feeling. You're not, you're not understanding with wisdom. So that term Arel means blocked. Moshe is saying, I have a blockage. I can't communicate effectively. I have a speech impediment. Think about the word impediment means. Maybe that's where it comes from. Arel Svasayim, speech impediment. Svasayim are the lip speech. Arel means an, imp- an impediment is a blockage. We call somebody who has trouble communicating having a speech impediment, they have a blockage. So that's the Kalvachomer that, that uh, Moshe levels to, to God. What's God's reaction? What's God's response? He's unmoved. He commands them. This is what we read before when we were doing the overview. Look at Rashi. Because Moshe had that objection, God's response, the Pircha, the response to the Kalvachomer was, no problem. I'm not relying on your power of communication. We have Aaron. Aaron is going to be your mouthpiece. He commanded them to have practice patience. Patience, savlanut, and sivlosam, suffering, forbearance. We already spoke about, have a lot in common. Says the Sifsechachamim. Rotzalomar, Shal Tomar, Dahai Veechish, Meni Paro, Milsebifne Atzmahu. Rashi reversed the explanation in the Pasuk. Why does he say that? Aros Vasayim comes after Echishmaini Paro. I'm not sure what the Sechacham is getting at. I'm not sure. He's explaining that the argument that Paro won't listen to me didn't have to do with the speech impediment. It had to do with the fact that Paro wouldn't listen for, for other reasons. So the two reasons are not, are not necessarily intrinsically connected. Says the Sfarno, 
What do you mean he commanded him? He commanded Moshe and Aaron. It says the Svarno, like a mitzvah, it means he, um, what's the word? When you make somebody your, he deputized them. At that moment, God deputized Moshe and Aaron to be his representatives. El Bnei Yisrael. So why El Bnei Yisrael? I understand why you have to command Paro. Why do you have to command Bnei Israel? So they're clearly bothered, the Sforno. He says, no, 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 not El Bnei Israel. El and Al are interchangeable. Al Bnei Israel. Vaitzavim, Al Bnei Israel, El Paro Melech Mitzrayim. Sforno rereads the Pasuk. It doesn't mean you have to command the Jewish people. Why would they need a command? They should run for a message of freedom. You're commanding Paro, Al about the Jewish people to let them go. So the Svarno rereads it instead of El to Al. But the simple understanding is El. It's a commandment El. So Rashi understands what's the commandment to Moshe and Aaron towards the Jewish people? It's how you treat them. Be patient with them. Be gentle with them. They're fragile. They're vulnerable. They're suffering. They have a slave mentality. So to Machlok is Rashi Svarno. Rashi understands Vayidaber Hashem El Moshe Vilaron Vayitzavim El Bnei Yisrael Command to means commandment about how you relate to the Jewish people. That's Rashi. Svarno says, no, El and Al are interchangeable. It's about the Jewish people. The Al Paro Melech Mitzrayim says Rashi, Tzivam alav lachlok lo kavod bedivrayim, zemed rasho. Upshuto tzivam al daber Yisrael, yashlichusa al paro. Udvar atzivoy mahu, Meforish Parsha Shnia, Lachar Shazidim Hayachas, Elamitok Shahiskir Moshe Vyaron, Hifsika Indian Beilo Rashi Besavosam, Lamdeno Hayach Noldu Moshe Vyaron, Ubeme Nesyachsu. Says Rashi, I understand. Moshe demurs. Moshe says, I'm not the man. I, I don't speak well. God says, No, no, no. You and Aaron are commanded to go speak to Paro. Here's what you should say. And then what's next? Eilo Rashi Besavosam. Here's the lineage, all the names of the Jewish people. Why the interruption? Says Rashi. Because now that Moshe and Aaron have been deputized, the Torah takes a diversion to remind us the lineage of who Moshe and Aaron are. Why are they deputized? Who are they? From whom do they descend? And by understanding their pedigree, we understand why they're deputized, and that's kind of the tangent why the Torah goes on this, why the Torah goes on this direction. Okay, I think we're going to stop here. Again, I apologize, I'm not feeling great, so we're going to stop here. I think with the lack of air conditioning, maybe some of you aren't feeling great either, so it's a, a good place to stop. The Maskwitz, I think, is giving the Haftorah class.